we go. <laughs> Trubisky throwing. It's the old Stanford band play. Back at the four-yard line. Into the end zone it goes, and the Browns are going to recover there. Denzel Ward. That's going to be a touchdown. There's no extra point, but that may be meaningful to some of you. And you know who I mean. 29 to 17, the Browns. Yeah, in terms of who it was meaningful for, it was definitely meaningful for us at four o'clock in the morning celebrating a Cleveland Browns victory in week three. We can take the weekend off knowing that we have gone two and one. Awain is joining me, probably just as tired as I am, as I know that he stayed up throughout. Awain, how are you feeling, mate? Are those a few bags under the eyes? Yeah, my eyes are stinging. Uh glad that we won because obviously you feel much much better after a win and like you said I don't think there's a better feeling as a fan in the NFL than if your team's won on a Thursday night ahead of the games on Sunday so we can put our feet up relax and and enjoy the football come Sunday evening yeah exactly and I think it was a fantastic tonic as well considering as to just how we lost on Sunday to be able to rebound quickly and be able to refocus. But uh, for those of you who have lived under a rock for the past, for the, for the past 12 hours, probably by this point, Cleveland Browns won 29-17 over the Pittsburgh Steelers with that final touchdown coming as time expired. Denzel Ward jumping on a fumble recovery for what was the only takeaway of which the defense ended up having all game. But uh, we'll take all of them, especially if it means points. Um, just a quick podcast today. It's not going to be a, a a massive hour-long one like our Monday ones. That one will be as normal on Monday, just that with Thursday night football, it didn't seem exactly practical to let the entire weekend go by. We'd much rather bask in this moment. Uh, Steelers' victories don't come often enough, so just bask in the moment now and uh, analyse everything while it's still fresh. So, Awain, uh, let's start off with the offence, shall we? Um, once again, I think that the uh, the word to describe it was efficiency, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think throughout the last two games, what you could say about the offence is that it's been pleasantly surprising. I don't think that any of us doing the season previews on any single Browns podcast would have had um, the Browns' offense probably being the catalyst to um, the win last night, and would have been win on Sunday if, if you know, apart from that catastrophic collapse at the end. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's quite good to watch. Actually, it's like you say, it's efficient. It needs you know three five yard passes to get a first down rather than well, it would be three four yard passes, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I, I knew I knew what you meant. Yeah. Free, free, free before the marker passes, yeah. 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 It's just those short yardage, yardage gains. And what I was impressed about last night, obviously we spoke, um, my key to the game was uh, to keep the ball away from Minka. And Minka was nowhere to be seen at all um, last night, apart from when Nick Chubb was running him over. So um, I was really, really impressed with the Browns' offence last night. I think Brissetta... Amari Cooper is a joy to watch at the minute. 
Um, I think watching Amari Cooper just shows, you know, what a real, real elite wide receiver can do for an offense. He's just wide open the majority of the time and he's giving uh, Brissett some layups, which, which to be fair to him, he's hitting every, pretty much every single time. So, yeah, Brissett got it got to give him massive respect for what he's been able to do over the last two games because frankly I didn't see I didn't see any path sort of for him to be successful and I thought he was going to be our defense holding us up but to be honest it's quite the opposite at the minute it's quite refreshing to see as well yeah I'd say that as well especially in the fact that it's refreshing um because for the last several years really we've said okay the defense is giving you the keys all we've got to do is just you know, knock the door down. I wouldn't say that we're quite at knock the door down territory just yet, but we are definitely at a point where on any single drive, I feel comfortable enough that we would be able to drive down the field in order to get um, to get points at the very least. You know, I look at the uh, I, I look at the drives of which scored us points last night, and just to go through them in turn. So, sixty yard touchdown, seventy nine yard touchdown. Um, 80 yard field goal, 80 yard touchdown. You know, it, you know, that, that says a lot. The fact that we can build sustained drives and also controlling the clock as well. You know, for 36 minutes, we had the ball, 36 minutes and nine seconds. If you, if you're controlling the clock and you're getting first downs, that's the important thing there. And uh, to your point on Minka Fitzpatrick, his stat line was two tackles and two assists. That's how you keep the star defensive back out of the game. I I think that he was thrown towards maybe once. I think the other tackle and the assists are just he was in the general area after or it was a Chubb run. Um, but like you say, Chubb had him well under lock and key. Um, some stats on our off- offense then before we continue. Brissett, 21-31, 220 yards and two touchdowns. All of a sudden, my Watson uh, prediction that Watson will end up getting more than Brissett starting to look a little under threat. We've seen a couple of 200-plus games now. Um, Cooper, seven receptions for 101 yards and a touchdown. Another monster game for Cooper. Uh, and again another game another player having a breakout game of dependency for Brissett of which is David Najoku nine receptions for 89 yards and a touchdown and his touchdown was actually incredibly impressive the way that which he had to go up and get it and still fall in bounds that was uh, that was great um, one thing which I would say though about the passing game and this will probably change when Brissette comes off and Watson comes back on, or hopefully actually it's just part of his general progression during the next couple of months of which is that he's very effective at throwing within two and a half seconds. They they put that as a stat last night at the end of the third quarter, 12 out of 15 um, before the end of the third quarter thrown under 2.5 seconds were completed but he doesn't move off his read very quick very well there were quite a few times last night and I know that you raised it as well where especially on third down situations he'll lock in on a receiver and he won't see the obvious one in front of his face 
you know, you look at, for example, Bell, who was available over the uh, over the middle in the third quarter, I think it was, which would have been an easy completion. Instead, he went to Cooper, who was double covered. Um, almost got there, but it was a tight window. But in any case, you know, regardless of that, the, the game management of it all has been impressive. Um, moving away from the past, though, what did you think of the uh, the run game? I, I thought it started out slow, but in the end, the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, I think it's it's what we've become accustomed to when our pass game, you know, we're not expecting much from our pass game. So what I mean by that is last season when when Baker was struggling, we were relying on the run game so often that teams would stack the box and it would become hard for us to run at the start. And then if for whatever reason our pass game started to open up a little bit, then it would become easier later on. And I think we've seen that in the first three games, really, that the run game has been hard to come by at the start because teams are expecting us just to pound the rock all game. Um, and then as soon as we've started to open up the run, uh, the pass game a bit, then more gaps become open and, and Nick Chubb and Cream Hunter are more than capable of taking advantage of it. And yeah, we saw that last night and obviously we we were speaking speaking through the game and um, there was one, I think it was a third and oh, one. I know it? exactly what you're bringing up. Yeah, the third and yeah. one. Yeah, yeah and I'll I, let you tell it. Yeah, so I, I said that it was the perfect, perfect opportunity for a play-action boot and, you know, third and one there the way the game had been going, it was either they were expecting us to, to you know, run Nick Chubb or it was expecting a, a QB sneak. And they set it up so well to break that tendency. And and Amari Cooper was wide open. I think it was about 42-yard gain or something. Something yeah, of something that nature. Like that. We ended up scoring, scoring from that drive. I think maybe that was Njoku's touchdown, I think, um, on that drive. And... I just think that that speaks to the genius of Stefanski. I think he's come under a lot of fire over the last couple of years for play calling. But you know, if you if you're watching the game and you're seeing how many, you know, I'm going to say average wide receivers are open because apart from Cooper, we are probably really average at wide receiver. But the way he's able to scheme people open and you know, for the most part, I think he calls really really good games. I do think that. We spoke right at the end last night. I do think that he has a a tendency to be a bit negative when when we're like one or two scores up right at the end and just tries to run and run and run and it ends to a few nervy finishes for me. And I would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive at the end, but also I can see why he does it because if you if you look at the stats, it's probably you know very highly in his favour just to run run out the clock and. And um, even if they, you're punting it back to the opposition, I can't remember us losing too much, but it doesn't help the heart rate at all. No, it definitely doesn't, that's for sure. But the uh, the run dominance is definitely there, and from Nick Chubb this year. So 113 yards last night in the TD. And here's a stat for you. Nick Chubb has rushed for 341 yards this year already. That's the most through three games by a Browns player since Jim Brown in 1963, who had 489 yards in that span. But if you think about it, the 60s, it was pretty much if you weren't running, you weren't playing football. So, you know, to be able to put yourself in that conversation is 
is good going indeed. And it does show just how much we are, even though it didn't look it last night, I think that in the end, the uh, passes and runs were about equal in terms yeah. of usage until until the end where we did start to lean a little bit more, as as you've alluded to. But um, to be able to leverage yourself for that, that amount of yards is uh, is impressive indeed. I'd love to see him get the Russian title this year. I think he's been so close a couple of times and has taken mammoth, mammoth seasons from Derrick Henry to stop him. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen this year. So if you're looking at it, you're probably expecting Nick Chubb to be the favourite for the Russian crown this year. And be it'd be awesome for Browns fans to see him do it, I think, this year, wouldn't it? It would. Put it this way, if you put that in your um, in your beer prediction uh um part a few weeks ago i would not have taken you up on it because i think that he might actually do it this year and he's definitely on course to do that uh right let's uh, move to the defensive side of the ball a bit of a jekyll and hyde more than anything else on that side i'd say um pittsburgh found found it difficult at the start then once they got into it much like how we got into it on an offensive side they really started to be able to hit some chunk plays trubisky was able to hit people um seemingly at will for a certain amount of time he ended up throwing for 207 yards 20 for 32 um and it actually came in the second half where the defense decided to um, to stand up and be counted with a number of adjustments and moving towards something which we spoke about a lot last week, which is moving towards uh, more of a man coverage than a soft zone. Yeah, I think Jekyll and Hyde would be right. But I think last night was probably more of what we expected uh, before the season started. So I think... We struggled a little bit against the run at times last night and it was those long drives that they were, you know, going up tempo and running the ball and then when the pass when they were passing then similar to what we were doing, because they were running the ball effectively at, at times, the pass was opening up. Um I do think they made some good adjustments at half time. It seemed that way anyway. It seemed like they were stopping for the most part to give those soft zones. And I think that's probably something we've been crying out for as Browns fans for a couple of years now because our DBs are capable of playing press man coverage and, and really locking down the other the opposition wide receivers. I didn't think, funny enough, I didn't think Denzel had his best game last night. I thought Deontay Johnson did potentially get the better of him for the most part yeah. last night. But, it, you know, there were a couple of key plays that Denzel, that Denzel did shut him down. But I think if you look in at the three corners we have... Especially with Martin Emerson now, who's you know started the season really well. I know I picked it, pick, picked him out for that um, goal line touchdown from from Wilson the other day, but you know I didn't I didn't really put that on him. It was more I didn't know why he was lined up, you know, in in press man on the goal line in that situation but, against him. Yeah, yeah, um, but he's been really impressive, and he, he he was really impressive last night. He was really unfortunate not to get that interception. I think no, he had probably yeah. a pinky toe out of bounds, but some play, by the way, and even yes. you know if you if you look at his stats, that you know he he get, he must have given up like 50, 60 yards last night. But that's most of that was off that one play to George Pickens where. You know, the coverage, again, really good. And then Pickens comes down with a one-in-a-million catch. like, And that's probably not exaggerated. It probably is about that percentage. So 
he's been really impressive and you would just like to see us being consistently more aggressive with the way we play defense and not giving up these soft zones because I think we can we can afford to be more aggressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something of which is going to be an issue from next week onwards, though. Well, it already has been an issue when you look at Jadavian Clowney having gone down. There are likely to be more uh, more names added to um, potentially the IR. Uh, definitely to the out list for the next couple of weeks. It, it's a good job we've got a long week, but in any case, I don't think that any of the two that went down last night are likely to come back for that game. So to give a rundown of the uh, two main injuries, uh, Anthony Walker Jr. Uh, was uh, diagnosed to have a knee sprain after the game. Um, now, both he and Jeremiah Wuzu-Koromoa will have MRIs uh, either currently or later on today, so we'll have better designations after this pod. Uh, a knee sprain likely takes around eight weeks, if not more, depending upon the severity of the knee sprain, if it even is a knee sprain. Obviously, these are only primary designations with x-rays at stadium uh Arusu koromoa says that it's a groin issue says that he should be okay but with groin issues likely to be a minimum of three weeks more like six if it's something particularly bad um so obviously the linebacker set went down pretty much well, it, it it happened within a drive of which definitely did not help us trying to defend that particular drive. We actually did very well defending that drive in the end. A lot of it coming down to Jacob Phillips. Jacob Phillips actually having himself a night despite only playing just less than half a game. Seven tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack, one pass defensed, and one QB hit. Um, you know... Does this show that actually the linebacker core turns out to actually have the best uh, depth that our defense has? Well, I think if you look at the way it's, it's set up, it's probably the most consistent room that they have um, on defense in terms of you look at the depth chart behind Walker and and uh, JOK, and they they're really similar actual players to to JOK and Walker, so. Phillips and Walker are quite um, comparable in the way they play. Um, and then, you know, Fields was described, you know, coming out of the draft as a sort of JOK light. So in terms of the way they're set up, I think, it, you know, them being similar in the in the uh, abilities and, well, maybe not abilities, but what they like to do on the field, I think they've done a, a good job then. It's quite quite clever the way they've set that up. So, Hopefully, we won't see a huge drop off. Obviously, you know, JOK is a player that's that's not going to be replaceable, is he? But, um, yeah, if they can just hold us steady and we we need the pass rush to help us out, really, because last night I think it, it really showed the lack of pressure that we were getting on Mitch Trubisky. Um, we didn't blitz him much until right at the end, and obviously, Phillips got home and got that sack, but didn't blitz him much and the lack of pressure did cost us at times and when you're playing off coverage then he's got all day to just sit there and wait for his his man to get open like we we saw last week with the Jets as well so obviously teams are going to game plan for Clowney and put you know double triple team him and 
you know, get the ball out quicker. So you're gonna have to we're just gonna have to adjust to that and hopefully we get our guys back healthy as soon as possible. Yeah, and that's one thing as well, which I definitely wanted to raise in that Miles Garrett literally can't do it all himself. Uh, there was a lot of calls on, you know, where was Miles Garrett during this game and towards the end of the Jets game. You've got to realize that our D line is not great outside of Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. You know, we've said for, uh, we've said the entire summer that there is nobody on the interior. Uh, guys on the interior are actually going down as well. Tevin Bryan has just been diagnosed with a hamstring injury. So God goodness knows as to how long he'll be out for as well. Um, you know, that just adds to it, you know, and that's not even a name. You know, it's not really even a name when it comes to, um, you know, impact players on, uh, on, on the Browns defense and especially on that defensive line. And it just shows as to how, how comfortable the Steelers were in double, triple teaming Miles Garrett pretty much all night. He was able to get through to Trubisky a couple of times, but you know, when when you're having to fight through two or three people, yes, it helps other people get home, but when they actually can't do it anyway, you are going to have to scheme something different. So I do think that the emphasis is going to have to be on on better coverage and on um, applying more to the box for for rush defense rather than rather than relying on on pass rushing. Because I think that when we started to move away from that in the second half, when those adjustments were made, and for once, I, I don't give him a lot of credit, but for once, it seems like Joe Woods actually made an adjustment that made something happen for this defense, of which was move to man coverage, make Trubisky make the throw. You know, it doesn't matter if the pressure is there on it, it likely the pressure's not coming make him make the throw, make him cause the errors because they were there. They were there for all to see. You just had to, you just had to make it difficult and make the drives difficult. It was so good not to see a busted coverage. I think that there was still a lot of communication issues. You could see that with Ward and with um, both the safeties that were on there at the same time. I think that they're still getting used to each other perhaps or used to the scheme or whatever, but it's definitely looking better when we move into that. So for once I'll give props to Joe Woods on that one. Um, adjustments there and adjustments definitely going to be needed if we're going to deal with these injuries alone yeah yeah and I think you know we're going to see the classic um, debate about whether elite pass rush gets you elite coverage or the other way around because you know our our pass rush is going to be quite poor over the next you know however long Clowney is out and then really beyond that as well because Clowney and Garrett can't play, you know, the majority of games anyway. So we're going to see if, you know, that debate about coverage versus pass rush is going to come to fruition because our our coverage should be elite. So is that going to help our pass rush out enough that they give them, you know, that extra second to get to the quarterback? You know, is an extra second going to help us enough? You know, so we'll see. I th- I think, you know, I've always been on the coverage side of that debate. So I'm interested to see now if hopefully we do man up more. Hopefully we put Emerson, Newsom and, and Ward against these, you know, opposition wide receivers. And, and you know, if they if they end up beating 
I I personally can't see three wide receivers beating those three wide res- uh th- those three corners every play. I don't know about you, but you know if one beats him and then the quarterback you know makes the read and, and hits him, then so be it. But I would rather see us be aggressive in man coverage than you know give those soft zones and give you know give easy first downs to the opposition all the time. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, let's take a look at the schedule and let's assume, let's assume best case scenario, those three players come back within four weeks, say, right? Walker could well be longer, but it looks like JOK and Clowney should be back by then if we are to believe the initial reports. Um, So the next one, and, and look at the quarterbacks that we'd be facing off the back of that in particular. So you got Marcus Mariota next Sunday. You know, you, you look at that, you look at their wide receiver room. It's mainly Drake London and Kyle Pitts. A lot is going to be put onto the linebackers to cause that coverage as yeah. well and to yeah. force that back. And Drake London, you know, you assign Denzel Ward to him essentially. Um, and then realistically, the they'll probably end up defaulting to the run. Yeah, the one problem with that is obviously JOK would have been the Kyle Pitts eraser type type player yes obviously because they they would match up perfectly to each other the one issue i have with denzel ward and drake london is historically the wide receivers that denzel ward has struggled with has been those big bigger body ones that will go up and moss him so one example that particularly stands out to me was when we played denver broncos maybe two seasons ago and Cortland Sutton had his way with Denzel Ward and, you know, bullied him a little bit that day. So mm. that that one worries me a touch um, because he's a bigger-bodied wide receiver and Denzel doesn't historically do well against them. But it's obviously a big test for Denzel. And, you know, if Denzel can lock him up, then they haven't really got anyone else apart from Pitt. So, yeah. yeah the, uh, the, 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 the good news on that one, though, as well... Yeah, the good news on that one as well is that their offensive line isn't exactly ideal either, of which means that if you are looking for that one extra second, that coverage can give you them, you know, you're going to probably find it there. The week yeah. after Justin Herbert and the Chargers, yeah, that I think rough. that's just difficult. Yeah, yeah that's that just going to be, be I mean, that, that's that's difficult anyway. Yeah. I, I think that the only way in which you really get around that is by controlling the ball on, on our end and reducing the amount of clock that they've got to work with. Uh, after that, Matt Jones and the Patriots. I mean, that's that's fair game. Yeah, the problem with Matt Jones and the Patriots, and the, the closer we actually get to that game is, the worry I have with it is similar to what happened when we played them last season is the matchup there will be, they will run Ramondre Stevenson down, down our throat. Mm. And can we stop that? And indications last night was that the defensive line is what we thought it was. And the, you know, the run defense is not going to be great. So the closer we get to that game, I think the more nervous I'll be that there'll be a repeat of, of that game at Gillette Stadium where they absolutely battered us just by running on us all the time and we just didn't have an answer to it. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that they, you know, draw something up well in advance of that game and they, they can sort of cope well enough with it. Yeah. Uh and then the uh, the fourth one after that is the Ravens away of which don't even need to 
don't even need to discuss that one. I mean, coverage-wise, you've just got to make sure that they don't take the top off you, and the rest of it will be... See, that's a game that you really hope that JOK is back for. Yeah. Because, to me, JOK was brought in to be the Lamar Jackson whisperer. You know, well, yeah. he... Yeah. You know, so so realistically, if if there's a worst case scenario for JOK, I really hope that it's within three and a half, four weeks. So weirdly, that would be the one that I would be worried about the least. And I say that because the book on how to beat Lamar Jackson over the last couple of years have been manufactured pressure rather than rushing four. It's been the blitzes yeah. that have caused him the most problems. So if anything that one would worry me maybe the least out of the four. Well, after the Falcons, obviously, because the Falcons aren't, aren't great on paper compared to the Ravens. But in terms of the four rushers, they, that would worry me the least because I would think that they're going to try and manufacture a lot of blitzes and manufacture a lot of pressure on that game. And it does seem that, you know, either side kind of has a book how to deal with the other. I think that yeah. we saw a lot of cancelling out last season and indeed the season before as well. And it's not like there are any uh, changes in personnel on the coaching yeah. staffs and either sure. of those. So pr- probably a lot of cancelling out still. So, uh, yeah, so that's the uh, the defense and the offense. I've got a couple. I've got a couple of questions to ponder to you before we uh, before we head out. Like I said, it was going to be a quicker pod today, just the half hour while we're on our lunch breaks. Um, first, first question: Why can't we close out games in a normal fashion? Why, why the, why the issues? Why the necessity to put us through the pain of onside kicks and punts with thirteen seconds to go? Yeah, I think we sort of covered it earlier. I think it's just a a philosophy thing with Stefanski and Joe Woods because I think Joe Woods' philosophy when it comes to those late stages in games is he's perfectly fine with them picking up, you know, 10, 15, 20-yard chunks as long as they can slow them down a little bit. And that's what he likes to do at the end of games. And then Stefanski likes to take as much time off the clock as he can on offense. Um, and that tends to be a lot of running into absolutely stacked boxes where you know we don't we don't get anywhere with it so I think it's a philosophy thing but like I said earlier I I would be interested to look at the stats to see how many games we've actually lost late on from winning positions or if it's just it makes us nervous because we're Browns fans because other than the Jets I can't actually think of um sorry other than the Jets I can't actually think of um any games that we've actually lost from winning positions late on? I don't know if you can, but it just seems... I, I don't know. I think... Um, wasn't wasn't the Ravens one a few years the back Ra- where we had a kick... Uh, we, we, we had a kick of which would have sent us up. I think we were tied with an extra point to go. And then uh, it could even have been Dawson that uh, the kick gets blocked. It gets run in for a touchdown and the game pretty much ended at that point. I, f- I do recall that yeah. a few years back. Yeah. Like you say, I, it might be yeah. because of the fact that we hold games, so hold wins so precious still. Yeah. You know, I, I'm still of a, of a paranoia where I will celebrate a win to its absolute hilt. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah there, there's definitely that in me there. Yeah. Um, uh, next, next one for you. 
Mika Parsons in a tweet last night during the game said that the Browns were destined to make the playoffs. Now, say that we go three and one if we beat the Falcons next week. That 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 is what we said. The magic three and one after the first four in order to give ourselves a chance. Are you riding that train from what you've currently seen? It's a tough one. I think it's more likely for me than it was three weeks ago, based on the fact that our offense looks capable of winning games rather than, you know, piggybacking off the off the defense. So for me, it's actually more likely now than it was a few weeks ago. Um, because, I, like I said, like I said on the last part, I can't see the defense struggling all the way through this season. I do, I do think they'll pick up and, you know, the coverage is still, for me, elite, like the players involved in it. So my worry was that we wouldn't score enough to cover up a run defense. But the last couple of games, it, it does look like that we could actually do that. So, oh, I'm having a stink here. That's second phone call in two minutes. But um, Don't worry, there's only about two minutes of this left. <laughs> promise. Um yeah, I do think I do think it's more likely. I'm more positive now than I was a few weeks ago about the chances. Again, the, an, another thing that sticks into my mind as as a potential uh, as a potential negative is that I don't think Watson comes back and is just you know what we've seen before from him straight away. I think it will take a few a few games to get into his stride, and he comes back at a real rough rough patch of the season in terms of who we play against. So. That'll be something to monitor. But look, if we can give him a, you know, if we can be in with a shout at that point of the season, then I think we'll all take it. Even if we're, we're you know, 500 and and have a sniff of the playoffs, then, you know, that, that'll keep us happy, I'm sure. Yeah, just need the Ravens and the Bengals to keep losing. Yeah, that always helps. Nice. We might end up winning yeah. the division at this rate. <laughs> um, uh, and then final thing for you. So uh, Anthony Walker Jr.'s injury came with a rather terrible looking, uh, it, it definitely looks terrible anyway, action from a Carrefour of the Steelers, yeah. who after making a rather full-bodied hit, shall we say, in the first instance, and definitely a little movement towards head, then decides to just flop on top of him, you know, using the full extent of his body. Does that into the range of dirty Steelers play for you. Now, there's a number of these throughout history anyway. The one of which comes to my mind is uh, Brown's Kung Fu kick to the head, for example. Um, Does this fall into that same category for you? It kind of does for me. I just didn't understand it. I didn't, like, still when I see the the replay of it, I can't understand what he's hoping to achieve there other than, you know, costing them a penalty. Like, What's gone through his mind to think I'm going to dive on him now while he's already on the floor with his face in the grass, clearly in pain? I have no earthly idea what's gone on on his mind. Obviously, I've seen, I've seen some um, some calls from Browns fans to suspend him after that. Personally, I don't think he will do. Um, I don't think that will happen. I mean, he didn't even get him a flag. No. So yeah, it's. Like I said, it's, it it just looked really odd. I don't know what he was trying to achieve there. Like Walker wasn't getting back up and having any sort of effect on the play. You know, even if he hadn't hurt himself, it was the play was already gone. So yeah, why he decided to you know 
bring out a wrestling move in the middle of an NFL game. I don't know, but you know, all power to him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we'll leave it, folks. So thanks for joining us on this special edition of the Believe Land Brits podcast, Wine. Thanks to you for jumping on with me during your lunch break. I'm hoping that you're able to at least get a cup of noodles or something before you go back to work. Um, we will be back on Monday as usual, what? usual slot 7.30, where we'll be previewing the Falcons game. It'll be a bit of a lighter one, actually, because we won't obviously be talking Steelers. We might even get some barking mad back. Who knows? <laughs> um, don't forget to follow us at Believe and Brit on Twitter. Also, the Believe and Brit podcast on Facebook. Go to Full 10 Yards for all your NFL um, podcasting needs, because we do quite a lot of those as well and they're always fun and until monday well first of all enjoy the uh, slate of nfl games considering the fact that we are currently sitting pretty at two and one and yeah see you monday <laughs>